this is Trey. Thank you for joining us for a Thursday edition of Mary Langston's podcast. This may be the last one in February, which is uh, a month I love because um, my our daughter was born in February. Other than that, don't press me on on coming up with parts of that month I like. Uh, but spring is in the air, and that much I do like. So February is Abigail's birthday, and the month that comes before spring for me. How about you, Mary Langston? It is my brother's birthday, and I agree with you. I'm ready for spring. I don't want to rush it, but I think we're almost there. No, I'm ready to rush it. (laughs) I think it was like 95 degrees in Dallas uh, this week, which is wow. it was like amazing, stunningly amazing. So, I mean, I'm going to Dallas tomorrow. It won't be 95 when I'm there, um, but it, it was some unbelievable Un- unbelievable temperature for February, but spring is in the air, and um, who knows? Maybe we'll get a question about spring or autumn or <laughs> summer, right? Or sports. March Madness is coming too. Yeah, that'd be great. So that's something to look forward to. We do have some good questions today. Thank y'all for sending us your thoughtful questions, and there are two sports-related ones today, Trey. So be ready for those. We'll actually start with a question from Ron in Texas, who writes, Sunday night, you said that there were two factions within the GOP. Hasn't it always been that way? Um, Yes, um, I did say that. And I um, was uh, partially correct. If I took the class pass fail, I might I might have passed. I think what I meant by that is obviously there were two candidates left. So. To the extent candidates represent factions, you had uh, former President Trump and you had uh, Ambassador, uh, former Governor Haley left. So, as you know very well, Mary Langston, math is not my best suit, but I think that's two. The reality is each one of those factions has different sex, S-E-C-T-S, groups within those factions has it always been that way? Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to hear this phrase, Rockefeller Republicans, and that was kind of a Northeastern Republican. They're, they're actually right now in the GOP far more than two factions. Now, if you look at Congress, if you if you were sitting in the GOP and I can't speak for Democrats, I'd, I have to get a Democrat friend to come on and you know explain the different uh, factions or groups within the Democrat Party. But if we're sitting in the GOP conference, you've got folks that are in districts that Joe Biden won. You've got folks that are in districts that, that Donald Trump won by 40 points. And they're both Republicans. That, that, that's a very different path to reelection. You've got members that represent uh, urban areas, Republicans. you got Republicans that represent Really rural parts. I had a very, very, very good friend. Uh, I still consider him to be a very good friend. I just don't see him as often from Georgia by the name of Tommy Graves. I thought I was going back in time 20 years when I drove to his district to go do an event with him. I, I don't I don't even recall like seeing a stoplight. So it, it certainly wasn't Atlanta, but you got a Republican in Atlanta. It's a very different, very different set of issues. So. Yes, Ron is correct. 
there there have always been at least two factions within the GOP, and I would argue there are far more than two. What I probably was trying to communicate Sunday night, although I did it um, inartfully, is that ordinarily what unifies these various factions is a desire to win. I don't recall in the past folks saying, if my candidate is not the nominee, then I'm either not going to vote or I'm going to vote for the other side. I don't remember that in the past. If you look at the exit polling now, and it wasn't just South Carolina, it was also New Hampshire and Iowa, well over half of Nikki Haley's supporters would not support former President Trump if he were the nominee, and it certainly looks like he is going to be. And over half of Donald Trump supporters would not support Nikki Haley. So, I mean, we're talking about a Republican versus Democrat general election, and they would not support the Republican candidate. That part is new. The factions is not. The willingness to let the factions get in the way of winning, I would argue, is new. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering that. And thank you, Ron, for that question. Our next question is from Sherry in South Carolina, who writes, help me understand how politicians can endorse and campaign for someone that they have run against. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let's start with the obvious. People who run for office or go into politics are just different. Mm. Uh, It's just a different breed. I mean... I'm not in that breed anymore. I'll never be in that breed. So I'm, I'm just going to, I'll say this. Most of us would have a hard time relating to someone who raises his or her hand and says, pick me to be the leader of the free world or pick me to be one of the hundred senators that makes super important decisions that impact our country. M- most people are not wired to raise their hand and say, pick me for that. So politicians it's a different breed. And then we got to look beyond that at, at a couple of factors that are just frankly rooted in human nature. I want something. And if I endorse X, then I have a better shot at it. That's usually why politicians endorse. Endorse me, and you might be Secretary of X, or you might be my next FBI director, or I'm going to put you on a county planning board. It's a quid pro quo. It's legal, but it's a quid pro quo. Sometimes people endorse out of a desire to remain relevant. I have a lot of weaknesses, uh, too many to count, although I think Terry has tried to count them. Um, I think she ran out of fingers and toes. That is not one of my weaknesses. I, I don't feel any desire at all to remain politically relevant. Uh, just this past week, Two people running for two different offices in two different parts of South Carolina called about an endorsement. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, number one, they don't help. I mean, Donald Trump disproves that a little bit, but go find me someone else. Jim Clyburn, I think his his endorsement helped. Uh, Then-candidate Joe Biden, I think Donald Trump's endorsement helps uh, in certain races and certain Uh, primaries, I should say. Beyond that, good luck finding. I mean, the first time I ran for office, Mary Langston, there was one elected official in a two county geographic area that endorsed me. Everyone else endorsed the other person. I had one. And, And I can't I mean, I remember seeing this 
fundraiser that went out, uh, an invitation to a fundraiser, and I looked at the host committee because <laughs> it was for the person I was running against. Literally, everyone, everyone in office in Spartanburg County was on the host committee for the fundraiser for the person I was running against. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't have a chance. I, I need to drop out. I got zero chance in the world. And somebody whose political advice I trust says it doesn't matter. Endorsements do not move the needle. So what I really read in Cherry's question is, you know, how can you fight like that and then everyone kind of come together? And that's where it gets back to just politicians are different. Lawyers are different. My dad used to ask me that. How can you in court fight with defense attorneys all day long and then on Saturday play in a golf tournament with one of them? And it's genuine. I mean, you genuinely like the person. It's just a different personality that can fight like that and then put it behind them. And a lot of people cannot do it. And if you can't do it, um, you probably want to pick a different line of work and stay out of politics. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering that. Thank you, Sherry, for that question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. Our next questions are from Chris in Missouri, who actually sounds like he's a golfer too. So there's several parts to this question. He writes, how do you see the PGA Tour 10 years down the road? Do you think the goal of the game will still be the same? Will team play be the dominant format? Will history of the game still hold the same significance? And will money have ended amateur golf as we know it? And I'm happy to repeat any of that that you need. No, I'm just thinking that's the most <laughs> number of questions that I've answered since I left law school. <laughs> it's all I, about golf, though. So that's that's a plus. It is about golf. But but I mean, I'm old. I can't I got <laughs> I'm like having a hard time remembering the last question. I certainly can't remember the one from 15 minutes ago when you started. Happy to repeat it. Uh, I know you are, but it is golf, and I think I know what Chris is getting at. Um, okay. I, I actually think golf is going to look pretty much exactly the same as it does now because it is such a pure and beautiful sport or skill set or game or whatever you want to call it that has stood the test of centuries. I think the hole is going to remain the same size. I mean, some people advocate for a for a bigger hole in the green to make golf easier. I think the ball is going to remain the same size. Some people advocate for a smaller ball. I don't think the ball is going to go as far, but the reason for that is some of the greatest courses in the world have become obsolete because of how far due to equipment and training and the fact that the swings are so good. I mean, I sit there and, and watch at you know St. Andrews, which is the the birthplace of golf. And I watched these these folks driving the 18th green. It's a par four, and they're driving the green. I mean, I look at what Augusta National has has lengthened holes because of, you know, I mean, par five should not be a par four and a half. So I think something's got to be done about the golf ball in terms of how far it travels. Because you, we don't, first of all, we don't want every ounce of land in the country. Well, I say we don't. We probably don't want every ounce of land in the country being part of a golf course. But if they keep hitting the ball 350 yards, 
and they keep hitting an eight iron 185 yards, how are you going to find enough land to make a golf course big enough for these pros? So you got to do something about the golf ball. I think it's going to remain a solitary single person's game because that's what makes it different. Other than the Ryder Cup or the Solheim Cup or, you know, team competitions, golf is lonely. It is solitary. It is you and your caddy. It is, I just, I don't see that changing. And, you know, in terms of amateur golf, when I think of amateur golf, I think of college golf. It is one of the highlights of the year for me to watch both the men and the women's NCAA golf regionals and then the finals. It is a combination of team play. It is match play. It is also medal play. It is everything. So and and it is it is amateur. It is not I mean, these are kids, some of whom may not even be on a full scholarship. They are playing because of the love of the game. So, if, if Chris, if you want to, if you haven't watched college golf, particularly at the end of the season, the men's and women's NCAA regionals, and then when, you know, the different schools go and it's the final eight and then they play match play against each other, it's a beautiful thing to watch. I think the game of golf is going to be around in pretty much the same form as it was for a couple of decades. Now, don't don't let me leave without saying this. My fear for golf is what we saw at the Waste Management Tournament a couple of weeks ago. Do, do you follow golf, Mary Linkson, enough to know that tournament? Mm-mm, please tell me. You're such a sweet person. Usually people would tell the truth and say, no, and dear Lord, please don't tell me. I don't know about it and don't tell me about it. It's <laughs> no. a tournament. Tell us about what it. Most people, most people not named Terry or Mary Langston would say. Okay. So I think it's in Phoenix. It's, you know, the waste, the, the green, um, you know, like trash can company, waste management. Mm-hmm. But there's a hole where the fans act like hooligans at a soccer match in Belfast. I mean, this year got completely out of control, but to be perfectly honest with you, even the years they think it's in control, that is not golf to me. Golf is not roller derby. It is not professional wrestling. It is not cheering bad shots or throwing stuff on the ground. I mean, golf is about respecting your opponent respecting the history of the game, the traditions. I mean, I want people to think back to Hideki Matsuyama's caddy. When Hideki Matsuyama won the Masters at Augusta Augusta National, his caddy took the flag out because you want want to keep the flag as a memento. And he turned towards the course and he bowed. You compare that to these hooligans, these drunken hooligans – having to be thrown out of the waste management tournament. Or I want you to think about Jack Nicholas slipping on the green jacket of a competitor, because that's the tradition at Augusta. Or, or Tiger Woods being more excited about Justin Thomas making a putt in the Ryder Cup or President's Cup than he was his own good shots. Golf is different. And when it acts like professional wrestling, it's no longer golf. So the rules may change to speed it up or make the courses still relevant. Technology may be rolled back. 
but the rules have stood the test of time for centuries, and so has the honor. And that part, I hope, never changes. I agree with you. I hope the honor stays with that sport because that really sets it apart as well, I think, at least. No, you're 100% right. Of course, you would be honorable no matter what you were playing. You would be, you, you would be like an honorable <laughs> professional wrestler. Oh, I don't know about that, but I think it would be neat. This is a little bit random, but you said caddy, and I was a tennis player. It would be neat if in tennis they had like a buddy like that that would really help you with your shots, but you can't do that because of the rules. So that also makes golf unique as well. Uh, well, and and the other thing that's unique is you actually follow the rules and you're not supposed to accept coaching during the match. Exactly. But, but not I, signaling I, nothing. I've seen plenty, plenty of people playing on tour whose coaches were sitting right there and they were communicating with them. So, oh, no. Oh, please. And then you got people like Federer and others, I'm sure that would never their their integrity means enough to them that they would rather lose than break the rules. But mm-hmm. no, I. I I mean, but tennis is mental, too. I mean, you watch people get the yips in golf, but I've seen people struggle with the serve, too. Mm-hmm. That's a hard shot, and that's the first shot of the game. Yeah, it, it, you start bouncing it off the metal part of the racket, it's, it's, it's not going <laughs> to wind up being good. Try to get it over the fence instead of the net. Um, but anyway, we have one last question, and it's from Jeff in Georgia, and it's also sports-related, so that's good. We'll end on a happy-ish note. Can you help me understand the timing of men's college football transfer portal? Why does the NCAA not wait until after postseason play to open the portal? So a little yes. complicated question. No, I understand exactly what he's saying. The, the, the transfer portal, which is pretty new, the timing, this is the best way to understand it, would be to go on a three-day LSD mind bender and then spin around for about 30 minutes and get vertigo. So if you can use LSD and get vertigo, then yes, the NCAA transfer portal makes perfect sense. If you're not willing to do that, then no, it makes absolutely no sense. There's so many portals now. There's a portal for teams that didn't make the bowls. There's a portal for teams that did. I think there's a separate portal for teams that made certain like New Year's Day Bowl. Then you got... You know, the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Washingtons of that always play for the championship, Texas. So you got a portal in the winter. You got a portal in the spring. Like, we just got out of a portal, but then there's another one after spring practice. The NCAA has completely botched this. This beautiful game of college football has been botched in part in my judgment because of the NCAA. I mean, South Carolina just signed a wide receivers coach. And he was there for about a week. And then he bolted for another program. The players are stuck. I mean, maybe the players came for him. Maybe they stayed for him. So we got to figure, not just for the players, but for coaches too. I mean, I mean, I, I feel so sorry for Shane Beamer and for Davo Sweeney and others. College football just looks like the wild, wild west right now. With name, image, and likeness, with the with the portal, with the ability of coaches to like you got head coaches that are leaving for assistant coach jobs. I mean, what about the kids that like signed up to go play for that person? I just I don't I, I college football is one of the most beautiful things in the world and they're just doing their best to ruin it. But here's the good news. I can fix it. 
if you let Dr. Condoleezza Rice and I run the college football, and and I would I would do it for, mm, I would do it for say one hundred billion dollars a year. So I, I wouldn't even be that expensive. I would actually probably do it for free. Somebody needs to fix college football because right now it makes like next to no sense at all. I feel horrible for the players and the coaches. And, you know, there's so few things that bring like almost universal joy to people. College football would be one of them. And this is just Jeff in the great state of Georgia. No, I don't. And no, I'm not mad at Georgia for stealing South Carolina's wide receivers coach. But I do feel sorry for Shane Beamer trying to find a wide receiver coach in the middle of what? I mean, we're I mean, spring practice is about to start. And I feel sorry for the players. So how do we fix it? Um, hire me for what was it Austin Powers said? One hundred million billion dollars? You don't even know who Austin Powers is, do you? I have not seen those movies, but I do know the reference, I think. Why? Does that not surprise me? <laughs> I know it's shocking that I yeah, have not God, seen that I movie. Am, I am stunned. The next thing you're going to tell me is you haven't seen Tyler Till the Lambs. Well, I did see that one. You and Radcliffe recommended that one. Uh, that was before we knew you. <laughs> we recommended that. That was before we knew you, and I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. It's an older movie, so it's not near as scary as it could be. Oh, it was scary to me because Hannibal I mean, Lecter scary, looks but... just like John Ratcliffe. <laughs> I mean, when you just look up, I mean, it's, I had to do a double take. <laughs> That's terrible. I'm just being honest. He looked like Lecter when Lecter had that mask on. I mean, that's that's. I'm kidding. I'm actually I'm going to see Ratcliffe tomorrow. So I was just thinking that. So yeah, then we'll see Ratcliffe and Pompeo tomorrow. And Pompeo does not look like Hannibal Lecter, but Ratcliffe does. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for all of those questions. We started off with uh, multi factions within the GOP, and we ended with Hannibal Lecter. That was amazing. <laughs> Right. What a spectrum of questions. Yeah, well, um, it, all answers. Goes, it all goes back to my recommendation that you take LSD for three days if you want to understand <laughs> the transfer portal, I guess. I do have a question on that. Can anybody access that portal or is it just for people recruiting um, or just players? No, I mean, I mean, like like South Carolina lost. I mean, I, I pick on South Carolina because I'm so familiar with that program. Some of our very best players went into the portal, not this year, but the year before. I would never ask Shane about it, and he would I, I would never ask him, and he would never say. But I get the feeling he was stunned. He was shocked. Mm-hmm. So you combine the portal with NIL, which is essentially paying players, and you've got all these outside voices saying, hey, you know, you can make a little bit of money at South Carolina, but you might make more at Florida State or Oregon or Southern Cal. And and then the next thing you know, you think you've got, you know, enough running backs for the year, but you don't. So then you try to go raid other programs. It's just I don't want kids like like if, if a kid goes to play for Shane or Dabo mm-hmm. and they leave for another program. I don't think it's fair to the kid that they have to stay. 
Mm. I mean, maybe they went because I, I really, really, really want to play under the influence of Dabo Sweeney. And maybe Dabo's gone to Texas or Alabama or the pros or somewhere else. I don't think he will, will ever leave Clemson. I hope he doesn't. Same with Shane. But say they do. I, I don't want the kids being treated poorly either. And I'm more than happy with kids, you know, the thought of, the thought of a kid not having enough money to go home while while millions and billions of dollars are being made off of them, what what I don't like is it's essentially free agency now. You can leave after a year. You can leave in the middle of the year. You can leave before the bowl game. It's just they just botched it. So somebody's got to figure it out. Dr. Condoleezza Rice is extraordinarily smart. She loves college football. I'd probably let her do all the work. <laughs> I would take all the credit, and I would split the $100 million billion with her. That's probably what I would do. That's so kind of you. That would be a great team, though, for real. She's brilliant. She is. So we have everything covered. She's brilliant, and I'm funny. And, and <laughs> there humble, you go. And humble. So we've got it all covered. That sounds like a plan. Well, we'll have to let her know about that. <laughs> I don't uh, know if she would agree to it, but we'll have to let her know. I think once she hears that I have tried to <laughs> she would laugh. into that, I may be blocked. She, <laughs> she, I don't know that she doesn't strike me as the kind of person that would like block a caller. No, not at all. She's so we, kind, it seems. She is very kind, but we may find out. And we, we share a love of golf, too. So... Mm-hmm. All well, right, that's well, all we have for this week, Trey. Th- those were some great questions. They were. Thank you for uh, answering them. Well, thank you for, for sorting through them and, and thank people for sending them in. Keep them mm-hmm. coming. I'll do my best not to go on long rants, although I make no promises. You know, <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting old and I repeat myself a lot now. And I just, I, <laughs> no. I've, I've just become everything that, that I like was warned not to become. That's what I've become. (laughs) That is not true, but we appreciate you answering them and for keeping us on our toes and making us think. And we appreciate y'all for sending us your questions and we hope that you'll keep sending them our way. All right. Well, I'm going to go have some very ugly words for John Ratcliffe for telling you to go see (laughs) Signs of the Lambs. And I'm going to try to find you a caddy for your next tennis match. All right. Well, good luck on that endeavor. (laughs) All right. Y'all take care. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 